Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is September 13th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is Watchman. And with that, let's just jump right in. So how do you handle conflict? Do you have unresolved conflict in your life? Do you find yourself helping or hindering the situation when it comes to conflict? I realize these questions about conflict don't seem to match our word of watchman. So what are your thoughts and feelings on conflict? We will get there in a second. But I think the last question you may need to ponder is are you restricting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life due to your feelings and thoughts about conflict? How you feel about conflict may be keeping you and others around you in conflict. And I know I've got some pauses. I hope they're not too dramatic in there, those dramatic pauses. But today's word is watchman. And believe it or not, conflict and watchman go together. I have so much to say on this and so little time. So let's just go ahead and jump immediately into our scripture passage. Our first scripture passage is Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, verses 7 through 9. It reads, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man of his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will be required at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So as we begin here, Ezekiel, he actually uses the word watchman. I've made you a watchman. So Ezekiel's call is for people to be a watchman. And of course, this call was the Lord to Ezekiel, but There's so much of it that can pertain to us as well. You know, for much of Ezekiel's life, and in the book of Ezekiel, this is one chapter 33, but from verses, from chapter, excuse me, chapter 1 through 32, you know, Ezekiel was really a preaching doom and gloom. He was telling the nation about their sin, about how they were going to be given into exile, that the enemy was going to come and defeat them. 
uh, a lot like Jeremiah preached. Uh, Ezekiel was a little younger than Jeremiah, and he was there when the nation was captured and taken into exile. Ezekiel goes into exile and continues to prophesy and see things um, in the beginning of the exile. And here in chapter 33, the nation is going into exile, and he suddenly has a different message. The Lord speaks to him, and it's no more preaching judgment. He wants him to preach a message of hope and salvation because of the darkness and the exile they are going into. And in this, he's called to be a watchman. So I want you to, to understand that we sometimes think the watchman must warn of the impending danger. And there's a lot of those examples. I've used some of those. Those are true. But here in this, in this position... The enemy had already come and was taking them into exile. And now the Lord says, I want you to be a watchman. And if you don't warn the wicked, then the blood will be on you. But if you warn them, then it is not on you. And so the idea of the watchman is that he's going to be responsible to hold people accountable for their faith, for their actions, for speaking the truth. Wherever you heard this before, you know, the when you think about this and other stories of the Bible, you can't help but think about Cain. When Cain killed his brother Abel and God came to him and said, where's your brother Abel? Because God's wanting Cain to confess. And Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? And of course, the answer to that is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Um, we as believers, we're responsible for each other. This is all through scripture. This isn't something new. The idea that you have to have some special call to be a watchman. I know there are certain theological backgrounds that go, well, this was specific for Ezekiel, and you can't say that you're a watchman. Um, and I say, I've read the whole Bible. We are responsible for each other. All of us are watchmen to watch over one another. We are responsible. We are our brother's keepers. And because of that, um, you cannot get away from conflict. I want to read the next scripture passage in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. It reads, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who re resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, good, to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of his this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves Another has fulfilled the law. 
for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Watchmen. As in Ezekiel, we are told that we are to warn the wicked. Have you ever tried to warn a wicked person? Do they receive it well? Do they say thank you for telling me that? You see, being a watchman, being responsible for people causes conflict. It causes us to come into a series of conflict. And you see that. There are many families that have conflict. There are friends that have conflict. There's conflict within the church. There are some churches that they run from conflict. I know ministers, they, they believe that they should be peacemakers and, and run from conflict. They should do everything in their, their power to avoid conflict. You know, Jesus did say he came to bring a sword. And you see, we have to understand, if we're going to be bearers of truth, truth brings conflict because the world is in darkness. It doesn't want conflict. This passage in Romans heightens that. It talks about let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, it's going to get into civil authorities, our government that oversees us here physically. But Jesus has made it clear how we subject ourselves to authorities around us physically is also a good bearing on how we're going to subject ourselves to authorities spiritually. God has all authorities. Do we subject ourselves to Him? Do we obey the Lord? It's easy to say, I obey the Lord, but then when God says, here's my governing authority, obey it, and then we, we come up with excuses why we shouldn't. The same way in our hearts, we're coming up with excuses on why we don't want to obey the Lord. God tells us that ruling government, ruling authorities, are there to do... Evil for evil, basically. If you do something evil, the governing authorities God has appointed is to come down with wrath upon you. If you practice evil, the government's supposed to bring down wrath upon you. The government doesn't bring down good things on those who do good. The government brings down bad things upon bad people. Now, bad governments do bad things to good people because we see that with sin. Sin calls good bad and bad good. So when you have a bad government that's sinful, God created it for good things to punish evil because of the sin in the world, but sin gets in the government and it begins to punish good and elevate the bad. This talk isn't about that. I want us to understand that because spiritually the same things sort of kind of happen. The last part of this, it talks about render to whom what is owed. If the government wants taxes and the government's owed taxes, you pay them. If customs are owed, pay customs. If someone is to be feared, then fear them. If they were to be honored, honor them. But then verse 8 says, honor, oh, excuse me. It says, owe no one anything except to love one another. So now, as believers, we understand that 
we are obligated in one area. God tells us don't put ourselves in bondage, don't owe someone anything, but we are to love. We are to owe people love. He says there's no other greater commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm. Therefore, love is fulfillment of the law. I want us to un- you to understand. We're going to go back to this call to Ezekiel. Ezekiel has been called to warn the wicked man. It's very easy for us as believers to think that we should warn people because of the judgment that is coming. But as believers, we we owe them our love. And sometimes we get so caught up with this idea of warning people that we don't understand that the warning is not to be done from a heavy hand of judgment is coming upon you, you bad person. Again, this was Ezekiel's point. He'd already done that. God is now transitioning him to a new message of salvation and hope. And now the watchman label gets put on him. In other words, at this point, he should be warning out of love. See, Israel's been taken into exile. They're in judgment. But God wants them, the whole reason they're there is because God loves them and wants them to repent. He wants them to change their ways. That's why they've been sent to exile. They've been worshiping false gods, so now they've they've lost everything. Their sin has destroyed them. But if they will listen to his message of love, hope, salvation, there's hope for them. So when we warn people, we should be warning them in a message of love and hope. We shouldn't be creating conflict just to create conflict. See, God's already called us to a message that creates conflict. Therefore, you're going to have conflict in your life. So if you're going to have conflict, you should choose which conflict you're going to have. What I mean by that is that we fight fights that we don't have to fight. There are some battles that you don't have to fight because why? They have no meaning. Now let me explain what I mean. Fights that have no meaning. Let me give you an example. During the Vietnam War, the government sent troops into Vietnam and they would fight and they would take these hills, they would take these points, and we would lose many young men in fighting. Then we would take the hill, we would take the spot, and a couple days later, the army, the, the they would pull the men out of there and they would leave that location. And the the Viet Cong would come and they'd retake the hill. And then a week later, the generals would change their mind and they said, go retake the hill again. And so again, we'd have to take the hill. It was bloody fighting. We'd lose many young men and we'd take the hill. The hill has no strategic point to win the fight. We're just losing men. And then we surrender and we leave. And then we go back and do it again. And we surrender and leave. There were over 50,000 Americans that died in Vietnam. The number may be more than that. I'm just I'm just giving a round figure off the top of my head. I don't know the exact number. Maybe more than 50,000. But the point is that there, we, we lost thousands of men fighting fights that did not bring us victory in that war. The battles were meaningless. The Viet Cong were more than happy to fight those battles because they were winning. 
They were winning the war because we were fighting battles that had no meaning. You go back and you study World War II, many of those battles had meaning. In other words, if you won this battle, it shaped the effort of the war. You were taking steps to defeating the enemy and winning. Listen, conflict, there's a lot about wars and things you can learn about human relations and conflicts. If you're going to have a conflict, it should be over something that should advance you. For the person that is going into exile, for a person that's in evil, that's in sin, they're going, they're going to hell. They're lost. They're in darkness. We are to warn them in love. We need to choose the conflict that one will help bring them closer to hope and salvation. A lot of times we pick conflicts with people that if we win doesn't mean anything other than you win. Just because I win a fight doesn't mean I've helped the other person. The point of the, the point of the conflict is to bring truth and the light of the gospel to them so that they come closer to the Lord. So they become more to hear about the salvation and to hear about how they can have a relationship with Christ. Sometimes we, or, we argue about stuff that's meaningless. There's so many arguments people want to get into about evolution and, and the beginning and, and the, all the scientific stuff about scriptures. And I'm not saying there's, there's not maybe a place for that somewhere, but you're not going to win anyone to the Lord that way. I know that sounds crazy. I've had those arguments. I've been in college. You know what? It, it, no matter how many facts I spat out to the atheist about the proof of God, even if I could bash them in and make them feel stupid about what they, they know and how they just they don't know, even if I could do that, they wouldn't come to the Lord because I fought them in a meaningless fight because at the end of it, they haven't seen the light or the hope or the offer of love all they've been put into is that they've, they've, they've fought a fight and they've had some deaths and they've, they've surrendered the mountain, but they're going to wait to see if they can come back and take that same mountain later because it's a spiritual fight. And the demonic arguments they're fighting about is to keep the person in darkness. That's, that's, that's all it is. And so if I fight meaningless battles, it's, it's the same analogy as me taking a hill and then I have to surrender it later because what I did didn't advance me towards victory. An advancement towards victory is going, did I help this person understand the gospel any better? Did I share the light of what Jesus did? Or did I just try to beat them up with knowledge? I think a lot of us Christians, we do that. We, we go into conflicts and we just, we do this. And, and unfortunately, we, we lose a lot of those because it's in areas that because it's meaningless, we lack the spiritual power to convince them. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to give spiritual power to us in areas that have no meaning. He doesn't do that. And so I, that's why we lose a lot of debates is because we're debating in our flesh, in ourselves. We just want to win. The Holy Spirit is playing the eternal game. He's advancing the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of you and me. So we need to approach this in love and, and pick those conflicts. Is this going to really help me to bring the gospel, to bring the love of the Lord to them, to advance the relationship, the, the destiny 
on the hour point. Let me go ahead and get to this last scripture. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 20. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man whom offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son has come to save that which is lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear, take one or two more. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done, done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, I know that was a long passage, and there's a lot to that, but we're talking about watchmen today, and we're seeing some kingdom requirements in this passage. See, Jesus says about what? Entering the kingdom of heaven. And he says, first, he goes, unless you're converted and become as a little child, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That word converted, transformed. You turned around 180 degrees. We're transformed. Scripture says we're transferred from the light, from darkness to light. This is the conversion, the transformation, where God changes us from sinners to saints. And we become as little children. We become a child of God. This is also a, a retrospect about faith. As you get older, you lose faith because of the, the evil of life. We, we see the evil, the, the, the deception, the lies, the, the things that have, have, have hurt us. And it causes our faith to be wounded and hurt. Children have such great faith. And that's what's so evil is when we, as adults, lie to children and have them believe 
lies. Listen, there's no such game. There's no such thing as a game of I'm going to tell my child that there's a real man called Santa Claus and he really flies with reindeer and he brings you gifts and he sees you when you're awake and sleeping. If you ever realize that most of the stuff you attribute to Santa is characteristics of, of God, of Jesus, and you, you lie to your child. If you want to play a game of Santa Claus, tell him it's a game. Tell him the truth. But when you lie to them, they put their faith in that. And then what happens is they grow up a little bit and they realize it's not true. And their faith is damaged. Their faith is damaged. We, As adults, we do these things to kids all the time. The enemy does it to us and then we grow up as adults. And all of a sudden we hear something about the Lord and our faith is damaged so we don't want to believe it. But we need to be converted, transformed, and be like little children. That when it comes to the Word of God, we believe. We need to believe. We need to have faith. And if we can't do that, we can't enter heaven. You can't have salvation if you can't believe Jesus is going to save you the same way a child believes. You have to believe. You have to. It's a belief that you know that you know that you know. And if someone told you it's not, you'd be you'd be, be shocked and, and, and scarred for life. Because it's the truth, and that's the faith that you have to have. And Jesus goes on and talks about us. And now, anytime he references a little child, we got to remember, the child being referenced here, this isn't the child sitting on his knees that a lot of time people refer to because this is a similar story, similar parable. This is not. This is Jesus teaching about being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We have to be converted, transformed into the little children, children of God. And then notice whoever receives a little child in my name. This is brothers and sisters in the Lord. If we don't receive them, if we're not being our brother's keeper, then it's not good. It gets into the millstone. And then he says, Woe to the world because of offenses. Offenses must come, but woe to the man whom offenses come. What's the offense? In context, the offense is the sin of what you do to this little one. The little ones are God's people. The devil has offended God's people because he's lied to them. The world is offending God's people because it lies and deceives and wants to kill them. What about you? Do you want to cause offense to a little one? Well, no. And offenses can also come to you because if you're a believer, you are a little one. Offenses will come. And it says, woe to the world because of offenses. Judgment comes to the world because God's children have been offended. Offenses must come. But woe to the man whom offenses come. Then he gets his hand to your foot, cause you sin, cut it off. Listen, he's not advocating plucking out our eyeballs, but we should cut off things in our lives that's going to cause offense. And when we say cause offense, I don't mean you offend someone. I'm talking about you, you, you bringing sin to people. You doing things to sinfully hurt another believer. If you hurt their faith, that's, that's, the, that's the worst sin. I don't know if it's the worst sin, but it's a bad sin. When we hurt their faith. But there's a lot of sins that 
can be committed to people, and especially to God's people. And God's saying we should cut that off out of our life. It's, it's better for you to end up going to heaven where you've cut things out of your life. Again, he's not literally telling you to cut off body parts. But there are things in our lives, especially when it comes to how we think, how we feel, our desires, what I want, God. We need to, we need to cut those things off. And they hurt. It hurts. There are, there are things in our lives that you and I would rather cut off body parts rather than give up certain desires, certain dreams, certain things, maybe certain people. But if it's, if, if it's a sinful offense, we need to cut it off. It's better to limp into heaven without it because why there's, God is going to, He loves us and He wants us something better. And see, we have to understand that because He wants us to be a watchman. To take care of our brothers. And see, he phases into this about the sheep and the 99. If one sheep goes astray, he goes and finds it. He's after to seek and save the lost. He, they, he celebrates that sheep. And then he turns that over into, if your brother sins against you. Okay, watchman. Understand this. When your brother sins, when your brother offends you, when he sins against you, he's the one that has wandered off. He's causing offense. And as a watchman, we must initiate conflict. We have to go to him and tell him his fault. We have to go deal with the conflict. We can't run from it. We can't say, well, if I say something, it's going to stir up a conflict. Listen, there's already been offense done. The sin has been done and God has said, woe to the one who causes offense. Now he's in what? He's in danger of hellfire. So if you don't go and warn him of the hellfire, you're now, like Ezekiel, the hellfire is going to be on you. But if you speak to him and he what? He, he doesn't listen to you, you're free. But if he turns from his way, if he turns away, he can be delivered. That's what this portion is about. We go to our brother as a watchman. Watchmen bring conflict. That's what this whole thing's about. We can't be afraid of conflict. We have to go in love. We are our brother's keepers. We must go. We must speak the truth to them. In love, not condemningly. It's about redemption. It's about hope and salvation. And then if they don't listen to you, do you give up? No. Take one or two more with you. Take one or two more people with you. To love them and warn them and to help them. If not, have the whole church. The whole church needs to speak to them. If they reject the whole church, then it says, uh, you know, let them be to you like a heathen or tax collector. Now, this doesn't mean that we just go, well, well forget you. Just burn in hell, buddy. That's not what that means. Jesus came to save the heathen and tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. We should treat them like we would any other person that is lost. They're not a brother anymore. They're lost. They're a lost individual, and they need the same type of witness that every other lost person needs. And they need the same forgiveness offered that every other lost person needs offered to them. So you see, being a watchman means we have to embrace conflict. We can't run from it. We can't be afraid. We have to seek 
them out and bring them the message of the Lord. So for us, it means that we have to learn to manage conflicts in spirit-inspired ways. See, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to speak through these things. Not to be afraid, but to be brave and courageous and, and seek to be spirit-inspired and in how we love and minister to people around us. We shouldn't run from com- conflict. We should, we should go into them knowing and expecting God to transform and do miracles. If we do this in a spirit-inspired way, we, we give room for the Holy Spirit to now move in us with power, His transforming power on you and on me and on the people we're speaking to so that the real miraculous thing of transformed hearts can happen because Jesus is into restoring relationships. Jesus is into forgiving. Jesus is into restoring life and abundance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, God. Father, I pray that you would put your boldness in all who hear this, that we wouldn't run away from conflict, but we understand that the life you've called us to brings us into conflict. Lord, help us to listen to your spirit, God, to love our neighbors, God, to love our brothers and sisters, God. Help us to learn to speak your word of hope and salvation. Help us not to run from conflicts, God, but to move in them in spirit power, God, to see your spirit bring resolution and restoration, God. Help us not to be foolish and and, and put ourselves in conflicts that we don't need to be in, God. Help us to be heavenly minded and to advance your kingdom, God. And Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Well, we thank you for listening to this teaching. There are other teachings. You can find those at our website at www.christianimpact.com. Net. Check out our ministry. If you feel like you've got a calling in your life, check out our school of ministry. Feel free to drop us a line. And until next time, God bless. Hey.